0: At progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, price and coverage match, limited by state law. Sixth grade. We move yet again to a new town another new school with more new kids who promised me new beatings. But this time, my parents they take pity on me. Since I don't have any friends or prospects of friends, they say I can get a pet. And I want a parrot because I like pirates, but they don't have any parrots at the Kmart. Instead, I get a pretty blue parakeet. So happy we take her home, but Every time I put my hand in her cage, she bites me. Hard, angry, ouch, hey, hey, hey. I give her food, she bites me. Try to gently stroke her, she bites me. And I know, I know how hard it is to move to a new place and not know anyone. I know this. So I place my open palm in the cage, outside the biting range get this garish, multicolored bedsheet, drape it around us. It's scary, scary. And don't you know, she pops over and sits on my hand. The devil you know. I'm so happy I can barely breathe. We sit like that together for a while. Eventually I stroke her feathers. She lets me stroke her feathers. When I take the sheet away, she doesn't fly off. She stays perched on my hand and later on my shoulder. Everywhere I go, my little buddy, and magically, the kids on the street, they want to talk to me now. She's so cool. Can I pet her? But Bertie makes it plain. Just because I can touch her doesn't mean they can And Snap Judgment A love story like no other We proudly present Birdzilla My name is Kim Washington Ask first When you're listening To Snap Judgment Hey, now, you're going to want to get cozy with someone for our next story. If you don't know who that person is yet, just wear your Snap Judgment gear next time you're out and about, the person will come running. And yes, sensitive listeners, please do be advised this episode contains some strong language and discusses the subject of death. I know, I know, but this is romantical for real. Snap Judgment producer Nika Singh takes it from here.
1: what does it feel like to hold a
0: bald eagle?
2: I get asked that question a lot, what it's like to hold a bald eagle, and I usually say uh, holding a bald eagle is like holding a toddler having a tantrum with a fistful of steak knives. Normally you were never this close to a, a wild animal like this, a top predator like this, and you'd never, you'd never hold on to it. You'd never grab a hold of it and hold it tight to your chest so close that you could feel its heartbeat through your through your clothing. You know, if you've seen the movie Jurassic Park, they say that uh, dinosaurs didn't go extinct, they just became birds. And I would say that's 100% correct. It's exactly like the dinosaurs were in the movies. The scaliness of the legs and the, the, the sharpness of the talons, the way they articulate, the way they grip, the strength within them, the way the bird looks at me. So they must have used eagles... Or other birds of prey as an analog for their dinosaurs, the way they move and the way they behave, because it's identical. And this is an animal you're trying to help, but you also realize that it's not asking for your help, and it doesn't want it, and it just wants to get the fuck away from you. (laughs) So you got to respect that, right? You got to say, okay, yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta fight, and but I gotta win because otherwise, I'm gonna get hurt, you're gonna get hurt, somebody in the room's gonna get hurt. So.
1: Uh, let's, let's get it on. Murdo Messer was not one of those animal lovers who was destined to save wildlife, who'd applied to a million veterinarian schools. Back in the day, he was just a college student who studied a little bit of everything and who liked to play Nintendo. That's actually how he met Helene. She was the veterinarian that had just moved into the upstairs apartment. I remember one day
2: that I was I was lying on the floor playing a Nintendo video game and I hear somebody coming down the stairs and I look around and it's Helene and she goes hey what you doing and I said oh I'm just playing a video game here and she she asked to I minded if she played. And I said, no, come on over. So I handed a a controller to her and we just played Nintendo together for a while. So that was our first introduction to each other, (laughs) playing Nintendo. And I later found out that uh, Helene wasn't interested in video games at all, that she was actually interested in in me. But I was so dense, I didn't even notice. I thought she she enjoyed playing games. (laughs) So it was kind of funny.
1: (laughs) At some point, they put the controllers down and started taking long drives around Newfoundland together. And one in particular stands out. You're driving across pretty much barren landscape and really rocky, cliffy
2: uh, coastline. And looking out across the Atlantic Ocean and beautiful, sunny, blue sky day, experiencing being away from home uh, with this woman that I really liked, listening to new music enjoying this person's company it was magical time it was fun uh, I, I felt I felt very <laughs> very alive
1: well is there a song that from that moment that really sticks out to you I think it was
2: I think it was a solo album from one of the Eagles guys it was the last lonely evening you'll ever spend whatever that song was that one we I mean, played a lot it was a subtle Hint from Helene (laughs) that she wanted me to be
1: with her, right? Yeah, you get the point. They moved in together. And then there was that one morning, the first time Helene asked Murdo if he'd come help her out at the clinic.
2: So I I said, sure, no problem. I thought it'd be kind of cool to go in and see the backside of of a veterinary clinic. You know, you don't often get to see the surgery suite and all the stuff that goes on. It was Canada Day, which is similar to July 4th for the uh, United States. And um, Helene had to go in for an animal that had been uh, a small dog that had been bitten by a larger dog. And she said, you know, can you come in and, and be with me? Because, you know, it's sometimes helpful to have somebody else there in case the animal needs to be held or just to, just another body around to grab something get to see all the behind-the-scenes medical equipment, the anesthetic machine, the x-ray machine, the, the ultrasound machine, and the blood work labs, all that sort of stuff. So I was just really excited and fascinated by all of it. And uh, it was kind of fun to, you know, help a, my girlfriend at the time, who was doing this really cool work. To be a veterinarian, to me, was like being a surgeon or being an astronaut. It was a cool job, right, uh, for this,
1: this ordinary guy, right? Murdo Watch Transfixed as Helene carefully put the mask on the tiny dog, cleaned and flushed its wounds with syringes, and then began to stitch it back up.
2: The way Helene uh, worked, uh, she was always very calm, and she was speaking a soft voice, and she would ask me to uh, hand over gauze, so I would take some gauze and pass it over, or hand over a forceps, and I'd be like, well, what the heck's that? And she'd just point to it on the table, pass me that, and say, okay, here you go to watch a professional at work and see them methodically and slowly going through steps that are necessary to do what's got to be done while you're thinking no no you got to you got to move faster you got to you got to make this happen now right because uh, this animal's hurting but you know that's not the right response the right response is to do exactly what she did she was a little sweaty from having worked under the the heat of the the lamps in the OR for about an hour so we were both looking a little bit bedraggled at the time but uh, she looked pretty hot to me, <laughs> having just, you know, watched her save a little animal's life. So I, I think, you know, it elevated her as a as a girlfriend multiple steps in that moment. I bought a ring. It wasn't. A, I didn't have a lot of money. I wasn't. I still didn't have a good job. But it was all I could afford. So, uh, uh, my my I guess. My worry was that the, the ring wouldn't be good enough for her or she wouldn't like it or it would, you know, be not what she had expected. So I had the ring, and I had, uh, you know, I had a suit I was going to wear picked out.
1: And he made reservations at the Hungry Fisherman.
2: Everything was set. And I said to Helen, hey, let's go for a nice romantic dinner on February 14th, right? It's Valentine's Day. I, I booked the Hungry Fisherman. Are you interested in going? And she said, oh, yes, yeah, that sounds
1: great. But unfortunately... It wasn't meant to be.
0: Snappers, it is not over. The gods of love can't be cruel, but Cupid's arrow is strong. Stay tuned. get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Milli Vanilli set the world on fire, but... When their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Ferian and Ingrid Segeef, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free, right now on Wondery Plus. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, our lover's special, Birdzilla. When last we left, Murdo had just scraped together all the money he could to buy the love of his life an engagement ring. Snap Judgment.
2: Bought a ring. It wasn't a. I didn't have a lot of money. It wasn't very pretty, to be honest with you. But it was all I could afford.
1: He had a ring. He got a suit, and he made reservations at the Hungry Fisherman. Everything was set.
2: And I said to him, "Hey, let's go for a nice romantic dinner on February fourteenth. Right? It's Valentine's Day. I I booked the Hungry Fisherman. Are you interested in going?" And she's, "Oh yes, yeah, that sounds great." But unfortunately,
1: it wasn't meant to be.
2: It was probably in the afternoon when she got the call. Uh, the day before Valentine's Day, um, the the 13th. I could tell right away from her tone that it was probably something serious. She said, hey, there's an oil spill in Placentia Bay, and uh, they're asking if I can come help uh, coordinate some of the effort to look after the wildlife. Uh, I know we have something planned for tomorrow. Do you mind if I go? So in my mind, I'm going, man, we got plans for tomorrow night. (laughs) This isn't going to work, right? But I kind of set that aside because I knew, obviously, what was much more important was was her uh, helping out with these animals. And I said, hell no, go, definitely go. And so she then continued our conversation and uh, hung up.
1: She was coming back the day after Valentine's Day, and he was all set to try again. So he called up the Hungry Fisherman.
2: And it's one of those restaurants that's really cool. It's kind of like a cavern. It's got these these um, old stone archways that are alcoves with candles lit in them. So it's a really well mood lit, uh, cool kind of space. So I was starting to feel a bit nervous as the time came up. So once the table was cleared from the main meal, I slipped my hand into my jacket pocket and pulled out the little box and kind of then got down on my knee beside her and looked up at her with the ring, opened it, and said, Helene, would you marry me?" And she was <laughs> she was quite surprised. I think she was generally not expecting it at all, so that was kind of fun to see her reaction. Uh, and then she sort of paused a moment and then said, "Yes, I'd love to."
1: So it was just the two of them, kind of, actually. It was never just the two of them because they did have the one dog and the two birds who were their pets, but then they also got the seven baby starlings who needed constant feeding and then a few baby squirrels and also a hairy woodpecker. Or it could have been a blue jay or a robin. He wasn't totally sure. I remember one night,
2: we after a long, busy day, uh, Lee and I were lying in bed and she would say, there are nine heartbeats in this house. <laughs> and so I mentally do the math in my head. Yep, you, me, the dogs. Oh, right. The starling, the blue jay, the groundhog, the squirrel. So it was, it was, it was, it's like like somebody who brings home one cat and then brings home another and then brings home another. It's all of a sudden you have seven or eight cats in the house and it's like, holy crap, we're, <laughs> we're the cat people. So we became uh, the wildlife people. So we wouldn't be eating supper until ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night, going to sleep around midnight, getting up, uh, sometimes, uh, five in the morning, because that's when the sun gets up and that's when the babies start screaming their heads off to be fed, baby birds, especially. And after a while you're starting to feel like a zombie. So I would be up before her and then in bed before her and she would be up after me and in bed after me. So often, sometimes, you know, it was, uh, it was almost like ships passing in the night. It's like, oh... Nice to see you. Okay, let's go. It was a very busy time and very exhausting. Um, um, I sometimes wonder how we managed to make it through that.
1: It was a very busy time because so often when Helene would be treating a wild animal at the clinic and she knew it could be euthanized, she brought it home. If she thought they had a chance, she was going to give it to them.
2: She always said that if the bird has a will to live if it shows improvement each time we look at it then we'll keep going she stood her ground every time and she was
1: right she was totally right and good for her but a house wasn't going to do it you could only store so many animals inside your basement and so they decided to turn the bottom of their house into a staging area and started to build out the rest of their property first they built a songbird enclosure eventually a nursery, and even a giant flyway for birds of prey. At the most, they had nine structures on a one-acre plot. They called it the Cobequid Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. It means the coming together of two rivers. It was kind of like jumping in
2: feet first into the deep end when we first started because neither of us really had a lot of experience with large birds of prey. There was one uh, time where we had it, Actually, under anesthetic, and somehow the oxygen got turned off on the anesthetic machine. So the bird started to wake up on the table, and when I saw that, I reached over to grab a hold of his legs, and um, I got a hold of one of them, but missed the other one, and one talon punctured a uh, blood vessel in my forearm. and I actually heard it go pop, and that was a surprise to me because I didn't think blood vessels would do that, and blood started coming out of it. And I like, oh shit. But I didn't let go of the bird. I grabbed the hold of the other leg until we were able to get it back under anesthetic and then look after myself and take care of the, the, the puncture wound. So yeah, an eagle is a dangerous thing to look after uh, if you don't know what you're doing. It could latch onto your arm, for example, with its talons. And those talons would go right to your bone in your arm. You could bleed out pretty fast. So these animals are dangerous to handle and you have to know what you're doing when you handle them.
1: But it was working. They pinned a fractured leg on a great horned owl, splinted a broken wing on an eagle, and then one day, a large plywood box arrived at their door. And in it was the biggest flying creature he'd ever see.
2: And um, I, you know, I donned my my safety gloves. We have these big leather gauntlets that go up to your shoulders. Uh, they're they're designed for handling birds of prey so their talents can't go through them. And uh, a face shield. And then I stepped into the little box. You know, normally when I hold a bald eagle, uh, I would hold it in front of me, legs down, And the head would come up to maybe the middle of my chest and the tail feathers would maybe be down to my knees. This one, the tail feathers were down to my shins and the head was almost just below my chin. It was a massive bird, the biggest bird I've ever handled.
1: But he also noticed something else while holding her. I can kind of read the bird's
2: body by holding it. And um, this one, I felt, had very little life in it at all. It was so listless. It was like a limp ragdoll, just completely out of it. So, you know, I didn't think it had a chance. Um, So picking her up and putting her on the exam table, I was on the fence about this bird's chances for survival. Helene, on the other hand, said that if it shows improvement each time we look at it, then we'll keep going. So we started treating it for lead poisoning right away.
1: Helene gave it medication that would bind to the lead, allowing the body to pass it out through the kidneys so that, in the end, the eagle would excrete it. But you can only really reverse lead poisoning to a certain degree. After a certain level, the damage to
2: all the tissues, the brain, and the organs is probably permanent, and it's not possible to bring it back from that. We've seen one in this condition before, and it's likely, you know, it was going to go the same way.
1: When a hunter goes out and kills a deer with a lead bullet and goes and field dresses it, so they remove the parts of the body that they want and then leave the rest of the parts there for nature. It's kind of like closing the circle of life and theoretically it's a good idea. But the problem is that lead is a really soft metal and so microscopic bits of that metal are left inside of those animal remains and when an eagle comes to scavenge on it, they end up becoming poisoned by those little microscopic pieces of lead. And one time that stands out a lot to Murdo was during this particular hunting season when they got five bald eagles in one weekend.
2: Uh you know, after the first couple of eagles that came in that were poisoned and we were thought, hopeful that we could save them, I remember just like looking at the at the last one that we had and just looked at me and said, "It's it's lead and I can't save it." I have to euthanize it because it's going to die and she kind of just threw her arms up like fuck this and I held it and I could feel as his body went limp and it goes from this this tense sometimes angry creature that you're trying to hold on to because you want to uh, help it to uh, a limp sack of Potatoes. It has, goes to this dead weight in your arms and has zero life left in it and his eyes cloud over. And it's just a, a sadness as this life ends.
1: As Murdo stood there holding yet another badly poisoned eagle, he was pretty doubtful. They were both doubtful, actually. But Helene was also quietly adamant that as long as it wasn't going to degrade the next day, they'd keep going.
2: The second day where she was not responding very well to the fluid therapy and uh, was still lying down uh, uh, on the floor of the enclosure and had the raspy breath that we see in all the light-poisoned eagles.
1: On the third day, when Murdo was getting ready to move the eagle for her treatment, he thought that since she was so subdued, that perhaps this could be a teaching moment. I thought, okay, here's an opportunity for one
2: of the volunteers to learn how to pick up the bird from the box rather than just having it handed to them by me it was like picking up a pigeon, or easier than picking up a pigeon, it was, so we thought perfect, this would be a great bird to learn on as soon as we approached the box the bird was nuts it was a completely different bird it went from the day before where it was weak and having its head hanging down like it had no energy whatsoever, to like a Tasmanian devil wanting to get the hell out of there as fast as possible She was literally banging around in the box, jumping up, knocking her head off the lid, uh, banging around the heat lamp. It was literally ringing around like it was a, it was a ruckus. And I thought, OK, this is going to be interesting when I grab this bird. Because A, is so big, B, it is totally pissed off right now. It sure as hell didn't want to come. And once I got a hold of it, the difference in strength in that bird from the day before was incredible. There was this fury that I had never experienced before in handling a bald eagle. It just was, I felt anger and rage in this animal. It was, it was doing all it could to get away from me. And it wanted absolutely nothing whatsoever to be done to it or to be held. And it was all I could do with my own strength to hang on to her. And you can only do that for so long. And eventually you have to yield. And she was starting to wear me out. I could feel the intensity of her breathing through my chest because her her back was right up against my chest. I could feel her heartbeat through my chest. It was pounding. She was trying to escape and she was giving it everything she had. That's when we called her Birdzilla. It's like, okay, this is a big bird, it's insane, <laughs> this, is, this is totally Birdzilla. Um, and from that moment on, I was the only person who could really handle that bird. And it was always a fight. Every single time I took it out of an enclosure, it was a fight.
0: Don't touch that dial, because Birdzilla has risen. And she is just getting started. Stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Birdzilla special. My name is Ben Washington, and when last we left... Murdo had just had the fight of his life, trying to hold on to a giant eagle. What to do next? Snap judgment.
2: That's when we called her Birdzilla. It's like, okay, this is a big bird. It's insane. <laughs> this is this is totally Birdzilla. Um. And from that moment on, I was the only person who could really handle that bird, and it was always a fight every single time I took it out of an enclosure, it was a fight there's a lot more to an eagle flying than just being strong and I knew that that uh, birdzilla was strong um but weren't i wasn't sure that um maybe she had some other damage from the lead, maybe some issues with her vision, uh, their ability to under, uh, to know their balance. Balance is extremely important. And one of the things that lead can do can really disrupt an Eagle's ability to balance and ability to see. So it, it was also vitally important to make sure that she was able to, f- to fly and fly coordinated in the big G's Lee. So that's, why we decided to, take her, to right, take her down to the flyway and
1: see what she could do. So he wrangled Birdzilla from her cage, and along with Helene and some volunteers, they entered the Big Jeezly. a huge barn-shaped building constructed specifically for birds of prey. The first
2: impression of walking into the flyway is kind of like, um, it's kind of like the impression you get when you walk into a cathedral it forces you to look up right away there's lots of light it, light spills in through all the, the vertical slats that encompass the walls there's a stillness that envelops you I, I often call it the, the the big jeezly the eagle cathedral because it's got that feel to it and it's huge uh, you could easily fit a double decker bus in there multiple times. It's a a very large building. When we were thinking about the design for this place, we wanted to build it such that two eagles could fly side-by-side down the flyway. And an eagle, uh, the largest wingspan of an eagle is roughly 8 feet. So we calculated 16 feet would work pretty well.
1: It's basically an oval-shaped racetrack for eagles.
2: Everybody stood with their backs to the outside wall on the bottom end of the building and I slowly lowered Birdzilla to the ground and lifted the blanket off of her and stepped back. And immediately she took three steps forward and kind of looked around and then took off. Oh, I see, which was great. She, she went past down there, the birds, yep. came down the other side of the, the flyway and immediately grabbed a hold of Uh-oh. uh a small hatch we had put in one uh, of the walls. Okay, I'm not so secure how secure that door is. <laughs> yeah thinking that you know if we could never catch a bird in the in the big Jeezly, then we can open this hatch and the bird finds his own way out and she grabbed a hold of that and was shaking the crap out of it and i was like i can't remember how well i secured that did i actually make sure that <laughs> that can't open and for for a few seconds uh we were all like oh my god i hope she doesn't pop that open and get out because that would be awful But uh, she shook it for probably about five seconds and then let go of it and then dropped down onto the
1: ground and kind of looked back at us like,
2: okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right, she probably let her be.
1: In a few days, it was clear that Birdzilla was ready to go back home. So they set their sights on a Saturday.
2: What? Get a hold of our legs.
0: What was
2: that? That's one of the talons clipping the glove. Watch your wings there. Watch Okay, honey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she came in a little bit thin, but no, that's fine. Okay. When they got up to catch her for her release. They saw clear skies, a great big sun, and they were greeted by a fresh blanket of snow from the night before. The world looked brand new. You good. Yeah. Yeah. On Hurrah!
2: So as we as we got closer to the release location, um, which was uh, a town called New Glasgow, uh, just north of our, our center here in Nova Scotia, uh, Birdzilla who was initially pretty quiet at the beginning of the journey started to become more active in the cage so uh, Helene is driving I'm in the front seat and in the back of the car is the is the crate in which Birdzilla is in and every once in a while you'll hear this thump as she jumps and you hear and feel the cage rattle in the back of the car so as we get closer, this is happening more often. Helene and I have noticed when we were taking animals for release, as we got closer and closer to where they were to be released, if it was if it was where they came from, they would become more and more agitated in the in the kennel as we got closer. And we make our way to the property where Birdzilla was found. And it uh, basically is opposite the the tree, which is across the river, where uh, Burzilla and her mate have been seen quite often in the past. So it was a great location for a release because it was wide open from the property out over the river. And there was quite a few people, uh, people who found the bird have joined us there. And the wildlife officer who'd, uh, who had catch, caught it and brought it to us, plus the volunteers who had helped uh, work with this bird. And so those probably about 15 people. And normally our releases are fairly quiet affairs. Be, often it was just me and Helene. So it's a beautiful vista. It's a really nice spot. And as soon as we had put the kennel down zilla was already rattling the door and, and jumping around. Like she sensed the change in movement, and the sense, and probably in the, in the change in the air, is very similar to that opening scene to Jurassic Park, where the animal is banging around, right? It's um, trying to get out. It's it, it, you can see the eyeball looking at you through the slats. And we have everybody gathered behind the the kennel, so the only thing Birdzilla can see is the open space in front of her. She doesn't see people, because, uh, of course, uh, uh, people are a threat. And she may fly away from her, which would be towards the property or towards trees or power lines, which we don't want that to happen. I'm not usually behind the kennel. I'm usually off at a diagonal, so I can see the front of the kennel and I can see the people who are behind it, the person about to open the doors to release her, and I can see Helene as well, quite clearly. As I'm waiting for the the candle door to be opened I I glance over and see Helene and I see her tension in the way that she has her hands clasped in front of her chest there's always that doubt that little doubt in her mind that maybe something is different when we release the bird because until actually leaves the candle and takes flight she's always uh always nervous and prepared for what if because she's ultimately responsible for it.
0: Side Scott, don't think you can grab him now. No. <laughs> oh, oh, <wow>. it. <gasps> oh, oh, my God. God. Let's see where's she going. Oh, isn't that nice? Oh, she knows where she is. She knows exactly oh, yeah. where she is. She's going right to that tree. Yeah.
1: She's going right
2: home. She knew her. exactly where she was and exactly what she was doing. <laughs> Good job, Zilla. <Zora. laughs> yeah, Bernzilla was out like a rocket. She barely had the door open when the bird was already stepping through the the doorway. One foot on the ground, wings beat down and leapt straight into the air and just took off like a rocket. She just made a beeline for the tree across the river as fast as she could go. It was a perfect release. It was beautiful. And when the bird comes out and takes off and takes flight, I can just see this this release and this relief on Helene's face. And she lets go of her hands and she does this little kind of jump and clap. Like, yes, it, it worked. The bird's free. It's flying. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a really nice moment. And I can really see the happiness on her face and the joy. So the really cool thing that happened after that was... We saw another eagle kind of flying uh, along the river uh, high above and slowly making its way over. And so some of us were thinking that it was her mate because uh, Birds Hill had been seen with another eagle before she got sick uh, by the people who watched them.
1: Well, that's an extra special. I know, oh my God. There, I
0: took you to the (laughs) And we thought, yay,
2: look, her mate's come back to join her.
0: She feels home here. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) It's the first time we've yep. we've seen a mate come back and see the eagle that we had just returned, who had been sick and been go, you know gone for several weeks, and so we were pretty excited about that. But uh, it swooped Birdzilla a couple times, and then Birdzilla took off and went after that bird, and it was basically telling his other bird, uh, and in no uncertain terms, to fuck off <laughs> to put it politely. she just uh, obviously it wasn't her mate and uh, this was something some other bird encroaching on her territory and it looked like they were going to get into a fight and they started doing an, you know aggressive maneuvers towards each other and oftentimes um, when eagles fight they'll lock talons and they'll spiral down towards the ground and sometimes they'll let go before they hit the ground but other times they don't and often they can They can die from crashing into the ground or get injured from crashing into the ground. And we sure as hell didn't want to see that happen to Birdzilla. Like, oh, come on. No, not now. Right. Don't. (laughs) After all we've done for you, don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. So it was a bit of a nail biting moment seeing this happen. But the the bird she she went after just left the scene. She said, "Okay, I'm not having anything to do with this massive uh, angry woman, <laughs> angry female eagle. I'm taking off. I'm out of here." So she flew away, and Birdzilla settled again on the tree. Yeah, and then and then shortly afterwards, another bird showed, another eagle showed up. And uh, it circled around for a little bit, and then slowly landed on the branch that uh, she was sitting on and this one was clearly her clearly her mate because the a the birdzilla let this bird land so close to it, and it was smaller than birdzilla, so we assumed it was the male, and just their behavior and the way they they kind of stood next to each other quite comfortably on the same perch um, it made a good made for a good guess that they were mates. They we kind of sort of would turn heads towards each other and you could you got a sense of somebody was saying, Where the hell have you been? and and somebody else was saying, Who the hell was that? <laughs> so you, you wondered if they were talking to each other in terms of husband and wife, right? Like, okay, what's been going on while well, I've been gone? And the other one saying, Well where the hell have you been gone? It was it was fun to watch uh this little this little moment between two birds that were obviously uh, well-connected with each other. I don't think I've ever seen another, uh, another reunion of that kind, either eagle or otherwise. I think that's the only one we've ever experienced in person. I don't think I've seen it before or since.
1: They drove home together in a quiet joy and murdo didn't know it at the time but it was the kind of moment they wouldn't get many more of and all of their long days and nights caring for the health of these birds and these animals they didn't realize something was also wrong with helene so it was
2: kind of a really uh, bad day cuz you know i i was at work and um i got home and helene was not where she normally was she was upstairs in bed and that was unusual and I asked, I could tell right away that something was wrong, but she she didn't want to tell me because it was my birthday, <laughs> of course, right? She was always thinking of others. <clears throat> um, but she, so the first, yeah, the first of May in 2017, she was diagnosed. When Helene was diagnosed with it, it was not, it was probably still the first stage. But with ovarian cancer, it's really um, a crapshoot because it could, it could develop really quickly or it could take its time. Uh, as it spreads to other other parts of the body, uh, so but she al- also a determined person, an optimistic person, so uh, whatever treatment options were
1: available, she was going to take them if she could. Helene had a rare form of ovarian cancer. She tried chemotherapy. She underwent an experimental trial, but nothing was really effective. It was basically slowing stuff down, but it wasn't
2: killing any of the cancer cells. All the while, she was going through these treatments, um, you know, and losing her hair and all the crap that goes along with uh, chemotherapy and, and cancer uh, treatment. Uh, Helene continued to drive to distant locations and do lead presentations to talk to hunters and anglers about lead poisoning. Continue to look after the animals in the, at the center and to do the examinations and all the treatments required.
1: And in July of 2018 she came to speak before the board of the Wildlife Center. She helped start. And I think that was the first time I'd
2: actually heard her speak as if she wasn't going to get better. She knew she was dying. She knew it was She knew it was her last meeting. And one of the things she asked of us, if at all possible, if we could keep the center going. Cause she was really the driving force behind it. She was the, you know, she was the chief veterinarian. She had all this experience and knowledge to put towards it. And and that was her passion, her life. It, it was everything to her. So she asked if we could make it, if we could keep it going. It was a surprise because we never talked about it between ourselves. Um, we were always positive with each other. And, uh, you know, even though I'm sure both of us in our own minds were thinking this isn't going well. Uh, neither of us was going to admit that to the other, right? Because you don't want to let the, your partner think that you, that you don't think they're going to survive. Right, you always want to be as positive thinking and as strong for them
1: as they are trying to be for you. Did Did you ever feel upset that she was, you know, still focusing so much on animals? Yeah, I
2: think um, I don't, it, was a, it was a mixture of frustration for me to to bring things to her in bed. One, uh, you know, I wish there that she could just focus on herself and not be so worried all the time about the animals that were in her care but that was her disposition that was her nature she was always the animals was always her concern first no matter what Um, but also too you know I could see that you know um, when she was in bed and at her sickest and feeling her lowest when I brought an animal in for her to look at it kind of gave her Uh, energy gave her purpose and she would fight through the nausea and the drowsiness of the of the drugs to to look at the animal and and decide what needed to be done and and it was uh, remarkable to me that you know someone facing such a life-threatening illness would continue (laughs) to do that kind of work and i think if we you know, if we tried to make her stop or take it away from her, I don't think she would have let us. And I think it was probably uh, what kept her going on most of the time.
1: I'm so I'm wondering, did you um, did you get a chance? And if you did, how did you say goodbye? What's the thing, right? <clears throat> I don't think
2: we actually did say goodbye to each other, and in, in some ways. Uh, Looking back on it, I was like, well, why not? Why didn't we, you know, I, 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 (laughs) like Helena was a journal writer and she wrote lots of journals and there was tons of them left around the house after she died. And I've looked through them looking for some kind of message from her saying goodbye. But we never discussed it. We never talked about it. We never, ever once spoke in terms of that, no, she wasn't going to make it, that she wasn't going to to beat the cancer and i didn't want to be the one to let her down i didn't want to be the guy who said you know what helene maybe we should start uh thinking about what might happen if you don't make it i never wanted to do that um i probably should have because you know afterwards there's a lot of unanswered questions it's like well what's the fucking password to the bank account I don't know what it is, or how do I do this? Where did you hide the passports? <laughs> right, whole pile of stuff that you should probably prepare for if you think you're going to die, but we never did. Um, but I wouldn't change any of the anything that we, any of the way it transpired. She was strong and resilient up to the end, and determined up to the end. Yeah, I have a, a mixture of images of Helene when I think of her. Uh, yes, definitely. Looking after some eagle.
0: Gimping on the leg. No. Again. Anybody, anything else? No, we we're pick her like up. one of our
2: favorite mammals is porcupine. So I can, I can picture her uh, talking to the porcupine as she fed it milk through a syringe. That was
1: very, very yummy. Uh,
2: the smile on her face when we released the bird. but also just her laugh her sense of humor
1: <laughs> can
2: i go Hello? the way she would always flip me the bird <laughs> is one very just jokingly her way of basically saying fuck off or in a polite possible way wildlife was always helene's passion and i was as i always have been uh, the guy behind her helping her making sure that she could do what she wanted to do.
0: A very big thank you to Myrtle Messer for sharing his story of the snap. And I know all of us here are thinking finally of the late Dr. Helene Vandonek, wherever you are, thank you. If you'd like to see pictures and video of Murdo, Helene, and Birdzilla, or are interested in the Caboquid Wildlife Center and would like to know more about the great work they're doing for wildlife, go to our website, snapjudgment.org. And snappers, if you see a wild animal, even if it's sick or hurt, please do not try and handle it. Call your local wildlife organization for help. Original score for this story was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Nika Singh. Oh, yes, it happened again. If there's someone special in your life who might like this story, Romantique, give them a gift of snap. Just make sure it's not the only gift you give them, player. Snap Judgment Podcast, hours upon hours of amazing stories. Pick out your phone or their phone and subscribe. You'll get so much back in return, I guarantee it. If you want to hear the story behind this story, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and share a picture of yourself in one of those funky Snap t-shirts. But Glenn, where do I get a funky Snap t-shirt? Snapjudgment.org. Snap is brought to you by the team... That knows if you love someone or something, you have to set it free. Everyone follows this precept except for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. He prefers to Serenade, his respective targets. Mika Singh, Tao Descott, Pat Masini Miller, Anna Susman, Renzo Gorio, John Facile, Shayna Sheeley, Marissa Dodge, Leo Morimoto, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, and Regina Beliaco. Wow, this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, as a little child, you could become enamored with Big Bird from Sesame Street and later with after-school Godzilla movies and not understand then that these two disparate forces would one day crash into each other and result in the Birdzilla radio hour. That could all go down, all of it, and you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX.